So today I want to talk to you about how to survive in a shipwreck. Saul of Tarsus, referred to in the Bible, was a terrorist. You are aware of terrorists. He was a terrorist. As a devout follower of Judaism, he participated in the first murder of Christian followers of Jesus. He hated the name Jesus until a spiritual transformation took place within his life. While on the Damascus Road, Saul's life was dramatically changed and transformed, and he became the apostle of grace. Now let me backtrack and give you some information from his life before that. He was born in Tarsus near the Mediterranean Sea, in a city known to be a trade route between Rome and the Orient. His father was a prominent tent maker. His parents were Pharisees dedicated to Jewish nationalism and obedience to the law of Moses. The family spoke Greek, Latin, and Aramaic. Aramaic is a derivative of Hebrew. His mother died when he was nine. Tragic. At age 13, his father sent him from Tarsus to Jerusalem to study under the rabbi Gamaliel. It would be like going to Harvard or Dartmouth or Yale at a young age, but separated completely from his family. His training was to make him part lawyer and part preacher. His goal, to be a ruling member of the Jewish Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin. Saul's two-sentence autobiography is recorded for us in 1 Timothy 1, 12 and 13. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who's given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. He described himself as chief of sinners, but I am in competition for him for that title because before I came to Christ, I was sinner. And my sin horrendous in the sight of God. But that's how he described himself. He knew he had a dark side. Do you know that you have a dark side? Do you know that? I know that I have a dark side. And I know what it was like before coming to Jesus. And I do not want to go back. Do not want to go back. In 57 AD, Saul, also known as Paul, so I come back to the proper location, was arrested for his faith in Jerusalem. Soon after, he was transferred to the Roman city of Caesarea, where he was held in prison for two years, awaiting a trial. In the fall of 59 AD, he appealed his case to the emperor of Rome named Nero. And he was taken on journey from Caesarea to Rome, assigned to the centurion named Julius to transfer him to the Roman capital. Three ships were required for the journey. The second ship would sink, and that trouble would almost end his life. But for God, he probably would have died. The second ship took him to the island of Malta, and there some miraculous events took place, and that is where we're going to go on our journey this morning. God knows about you. He knows what is a struggle 
and he knows what challenges you. I'm reading from Acts 27, 9 through 11. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. So remember, three ships to get them to Rome. They were on the second one, an Alexandrian cargo ship shaped much like a barge, having a square bow and a square stern. For motion, the ship was outfitted with an enormous single sail. The giant wooden craft would have creaked and groaned on a good day. You can only imagine what it was like in the middle of a huge storm. Paul warned the centurion of impending danger when the ship was still at Fair Havens on the island of Crete. Julius and the owner of the ship would not listen and decided to find a safer harbor at Phoenix. Some people... Don't accept advice easily. Do you know that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it's none of us in the room that act like that ever. But we all know people who don't accept advice easily. So as they were on their way to the next location, which was 70 miles away, the crew weighed anchor and tried to stay close to shore for this journey to Phoenix. And what happened next is what we call a perfect storm. The ship was out to sea. The tempest included hurricane force winds. There's a book called The Perfect Storm by Sebastian Younger, who describes the disappearance of a captain and crew along with their ship called the Andrea Gale. Any of you familiar with the story? The Perfect Storm. Okay took place in 1991 off the coast of the North Atlantic just by Massachusetts. The winds were coming from a variety of directions in such a way that the waves, the wind, the sea became so violent that the ship went down and there was no hope to be found. The perfect storm. Sometimes we find ourselves in such a place the perfect storm. It is a time in which your ability to control external events is taken out of your hands and you can do nothing about what you are facing but faith. Now, I could say pray, but I'm going to say but faith, that you can hold to God when life is that way. The ship was out of control. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught for the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. Behind the ship was a smaller vessel used to transport passengers to and from shore. The crew hoisted it on board the deck. They needed supports to undergird the ship. The top sails were finally lowered and the ship was allowed to be driven by the wind. Finally, as hope was gone, they threw the ship's cargo overboard. And at that moment, hope was lost. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And even Paul gave up hope. Because as Christians, there are times your hope may just give way. 
And somebody who is super spiritual will tell you if you really love Jesus, that wouldn't happen. Okay? And I'm here to tell you it happened to Paul. And he really loved Jesus. All right? That it is possible for your hope to be gone. That the bottom falls out, the circumstances are such that your ability to hold on is gone. All human effort to survive, not working. The point where hope is taken away. So I ask you today, where are you? What is your walk and what are the difficulties that you are facing now? Second thought, God reveals himself in the struggles of life. Some events are so overwhelming that death may seem imminent. For parents, a child may run away. For any of us, a devastating illness may take place. For those of us employed, we can lose a job. We received an email this morning of a friend who had lost his job. When the outlook is dim and the answers are gone, what are we to do? And I have some thoughts to share. Because God is with us in the storm. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. This is, I told you so. (laughs) But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On board the storm-tossed ship was a man who knew how to pray. His name was Paul, and even though hope had gone, He was still calling out to God. Did you know that even atheists pray? 74% of atheists pray on a weekly basis. Even atheists pray. Paul was praying. God was with them. No one would die. Even so, the ship was going to run aground on an island, and the island would be Malta. So the crew ate together. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight the sailors sensed they were approaching land, they took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, You've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. So 275 people who had gone without food for many days were finally urged to take a meal and gain some strength. Before they prayed, and then they ate their food. As the sun came up, 
they found themselves approaching a bay on the island of Malta. They cast off the anchors, hoisted the sails, and made for shore. The ship ran aground, and everyone on board did their best to do what they could. But their unified efforts were not enough, and the ship began to break apart. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. The stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. So the owner of the ship, the crew, the soldiers, and prisoners did what they could, but it wasn't enough. Many ideas were proposed, but better sense finally prevailed. They weren't going to kill the prisoners. The 276 people were allowed to see if they could all safely get to shore. God has a plan for every part of life. We like the good parts better. We really do. We do. Who doesn't? You'd be nuts if you didn't. All right? But God has a plan for every part. Prayer connects us to God. Prayer connects us to God. And when you add faith to your prayer, you're talking God's language. Just so you know, God's language is prayer. Our native language is English. God's native language is faith. You still with me? Okay? He's looking for faith. God often uses other people in his plan for our life. Almost always. Almost always God uses other people. And almost always he involves us in his solutions. So when hope is gone, but prayer's alive, and we begin to talk God's native language of faith, we will find that he is present. And he's doing something we need, and he's going to involve us with others, which is one of the reasons why we need church. Church is people, not buildings. We need church. We need people. We need the people of God. We need one another. Do sometimes we get in trouble? Do sometimes we misbehave? Do sometimes we act like two-year-olds? Do sometimes we throw a fit? Do sometimes we get in trouble? Yes, all of the above. But that's a part of it. We're human beings. We need to hold in faith to one another and to God and trust him to lead us and guide us through because he is with us no matter what we think. Third thought, God redeems the struggles. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. God had a purpose for taking them to this storm-tossed situation in which he would lead them to an island for refuge. The people on that island needed Jesus. God had a reason. The people on that island needed Jesus. So they got to shore, they built a fire, and while they were warming themselves there, Paul was bitten by a snake. The islanders saw this. The snake came out of the wood and attached itself to Paul and bit hard and was hanging from his arm. And they figured he must be a murderer who was being punished because only 
a murderer or somebody like that would experience something atrocious like a snake coming out of the fire and biting them and holding on to their arm. But nothing bad happened. He didn't die. It was a venomous snake. He should have died. Then they changed their mind. He must not be a murderer. He must be a god. People are confusing sometimes. The chief man of the island welcomed Paul. The chief of the island, his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. Many were healed as Paul, Luke, and others ministered to their physical needs. History records that many came to Christ as a result of Paul's visit. Do you believe God heals today? Hmm. Hmm. Would he do something like that today? Or is it only special days? Special days. Publius's father was sick in bed. And Paul in prayer laid hands upon him. And after laying hands upon him in prayer, the man was healed. Interesting. Publius became the leader of the church on this island. In 67 AD, the first church facility was built not far from the cave where Paul lived for three months during that winter. The gospel was preached all across the island. And to this day, 94% of the persons who live on the island of Malta claim to be Christian. 1,975 years later, close to a million people claiming to be followers of Christ, going back to the shipwreck. God using the shipwreck of life. Can I back up the train a little bit to the snake and the fire? In the struggles of life, things happen. Things we don't like, things we do. And sometimes we get bitten. In Paul's case, it was a snake that came out of the fire. He got bitten. In some cases, we get bitten. I don't think you can get through life without getting bitten. At one time or another, something bad will happen. Something horrendous will take place. Some difficulty that is so big that you have no means at your disposal to deal with it or see yourself through. And in all accounts, should probably be done in, maybe even dead. We get bitten. Now, what would have happened if Paul, I just want you to imagine this, the snake is dangling from his arm, he's bitten. What would have happened if he hadn't shaken it loose and the venomous snake just remained attached and Publius's father was sick and in need of help and he decided to go visit Publius's dad and lay hands on him and pray with the snake dangling from his arm. Do you think Publius's dad would really want Paul to come lay hands on him and pray for him with a dangling poisonous snake from his arm? Do you think Publius himself would want Paul with a dangling poisonous snake getting close to his dad to pray? Do you think Publius would want to hang around Paul with a dangling poisonous snake from his arm? Now I'm using this as a picture because there are many of God's people who have been bitten. And the snake is still dangling. Hadn't gone away. 
the point of the sorrow, the point of the pain, the point of the atrocity, the point of the difficulty, remains. The account of the struggle is so deeply wounding that the description of what comes out of their mouth and words as, is as if the event just occurred yesterday, even if the snake bit them 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 12 months ago, 6 months ago, 3 months ago, the snake... It's as if the snake still dangles. And how do I know that the snake still dangles? Because the poison is still there. It's an awful thing when a person has the poison still in their system. And maybe not literally is there a snake dangling, but the poison is still in their veins. The poison is still affecting their heart and soul. So much so that when they speak, the poison comes out. Am I making any sense to you? Uh-huh. Bitten by the snake, but not overcome. The struggle and the problem is still alive and well. Holding on and affecting heart and life and bringing destructive influence. For when the poison and the venom is still there, for those of us who are parents, it can affect us in a relationship with our child or our children. It can affect us in our family members, the poison is still there. The struggle is still alive. The pain still comes out. It can affect us in relationships, workplaces, neighborhoods, schools. Venom is still alive in the veins, comes out in the conversation and in the ensuing conduct. It's as if the snake still dangles from the arm. Paul, thank God, shook the thing off. But I know people, I know people that I don't think have shaken it off. Bitten, hurt, run over, victimized, abused. Paul didn't cause the snake to come out of the fire. Hear me, hear me. Paul didn't cause the snake to come out of the fire. Most instances of being bitten are not because you did something to cause it. It's because you were going through life and it happened. And you're not to blame, but it's there. And it hurts all the same and the poison is real and the poison has gotten in your system and somehow you need to shake that thing off. And that poison needs to come out and your heart and soul needs to be set free and your life needs to be restored and put back together again. And I believe today is the day. Amen. Okay. How many of you have been bitten by the snake? Would you raise your hand? Bitten by the snake. I mean, who of us hasn't? Right? Who of us hasn't? How many? of us. It's as if the snake still dangles. Would you raise your hand? It's as if it still dangles. This is the day to shake it off. How many of us, you can still taste the venom, the poison. You still have the sense of its hurt and its harm and what it did to you on the day you got bitten, you can still taste it in your soul. And you want it out today. Would you raise your hand? 
You want it out today. In Jesus' name, this is the day for it to come out. In Jesus' name, I ask you a question. Is the blood of Jesus Christ strong enough for the snake to drop off, for the venom to be removed, and for you to be released for the victory that God has in your life today? Is, is the blood of Jesus Christ strong enough for this to take place? And the answer is, yes it is. That's why Christ died on the cross. And so Paul shook it off. He knew his Savior. He had come out of the hopeless situation only to be shipwrecked on an island, only to be bitten by a snake, only to have venom in his body, only to have faith exercised once again to shake that thing off and be set free and know the healing power of God and realize that all of this that I've been through, all, and here's the redemption of God, all of this I've been through, the shipwreck, the snake bite, all of this I've been through is so that God could use me to help somebody else when they give up hope and all they have left is prayer. And they may even still pray like the atheist until they find hope again and attach unto God and discover they don't die, they live, only to be bitten in the next circumstance. Really? Really? That to this, to that, to this. Really? When's it going to end? But God's purpose is redemption. To use us to help somebody else who goes through their own hopelessness and their own heartache and their pain and their sorrow and their venom of life and their hurts and their struggles. The redemption of God to help somebody else 